Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Something to chew on at the Grey Cup, a surge at Hamilton Food Share, a new climate action plan at Mohawk College. COVID is still hanging around. We still have horrible passwords, and the Winter Festival of Lights is back in the falls. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. There's a special menu that has been created at Tim Hortons Field for this Sunday's Grey Cup, and we're going to chat with the man behind it. Chef Jonathan Philippe of Sodexo Live at Tim Hortons Field joins us live on GMH. Chef Philippe, how are you today? Good morning. I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. So what do you have, uh, what are you concocting for Sunday? Well, for Sunday, we're, we're featuring a bunch of new items that we've never done before. So we have uh, several different types of paninis we're going to be doing on our club level. So we have like a uh, Canadian Cubano panini, a um, uh, Montreal smoked turkey uh, club panini, a mushroom panini for all our vegan friends out there. We're also going to be featuring some duck wings and chicken wings, uh, beef ribs, and for special little added stuff, we're going to do some dessert features. Uh, we're going to do, be doing some funnel cake fries, and a uh, one of my favorites is going to be the French toast panini with the cinnamon toast uh, brioche filled uh, panini with caramelized <laughs> bananas and bacon and marshmallow spread. Wow, I am salivating beyond belief. I mean, you had me a panini. <laughs> yeah, we want to try something new, something to get the fans excited about, hopefully uh, something new that we could be doing for next year. So we're just going to give this a good go and see how everybody perceives our uh, new menus. Was there a lot of discussion around the menu, or is this just something that kind of came to you? Talk about the process. All right, well, we 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 were talking about some things that we need to do for wow factors, something that's going to crave or get the attention of all our all of our uh, people that are going to be there. So, and even even so we've created an extra special hammer dog uh hot dog as a feature as well. So, with our sponsors uh being uh Humpty Dumpty and Old Dutch, we've created the hammer dog that's going to have uh hickory uh hickory sticks and crunched up cheddar cheesies with uh bacon bits in it. Uh, on a wonderful foot-long hot dog. So we just want to make something that's going to grab everybody's attention, maybe uh, get some good uh, some good reactions out of them, and uh, yeah. And is are, are these items going to be available throughout the stadium or just in the, the club level or the suites? All right, so our, we're going to do our feature hot dog at all our hot dog uh, stands. So I think we have about two hot dog stands, one on each side of the stadium that's going to have it. Um, also... We're also doing another feature. We're going to do a beef Yorkie bowl. So uh, with this, is going to be a couple of pieces of Yorkshire pudding uh, with a homemade beef stew that we've made in-house. And that's going to be available on both sides of the stadium as well in, in multiple locations. Chef Jonathan Philippe is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Uh, Sh- uh, Chef Jonathan is with Sodeco Live at Tim Hortons Field and uh, the creator of the unique menu that you're going to be tasting on Grey Cup Sunday at Tim Hortons Field. How fun was this to put together? Oh, this was awesome. Uh, not only was it fun for me, it was fun for some of the staff so we can all pitch in and bounce some great ideas off each other. And then, uh, and just in the fun of making some of these things, just trying them and executing them is going to be absolutely fantastic. You've mentioned uh, paninis, uh, hammer dog, beef Yorkie bowl, funnel cake fries. Stadium food has come a long way, hasn't it? Oh, it has. And I still got a couple other little things that we're going to be throwing in there. We also have uh, some beef ribs that we're going to be doing as well. 
And the beef ribs are going to have a Jim Bean Coca-Cola glaze on it. So, again, Jim Bean being one of our sponsors, same with Coca-Cola. So we're just trying to tie in all our sponsors with some of the, the fun food we're doing as well. Nice. That's a win-win. Do, do you think fans now come to expect this kind of uniqueness and this, you know, uh, the, these uh, interesting creations as opposed to a, a regular hot dog or a slice of pizza? And there's there's those fans that just want those things. But do you get the sense that more and more fans want to try these new things at, at football games? Absolutely. I We, we all know that the, the staple is going to be the hot dog no matter where you go. But... I think the fan experience are going to want something new, unique, something different, something to talk about. And that's what they're going to be looking for. And that's what I want to give them. Do you go to other sporting events and see what's on the menu and say, wow, I can do a variation of that? Well, yeah, I have. I've gone to several different venues throughout the years. And now it's now it's our turn to uh, to try to do the same and, and make Hamilton a spot on the map for a food destination, especially for our stadium. Well, you certainly have us all hungry, Chef Jonathan, that is for sure. Looking forward to all the tasty treats on Grey Cup Sunday. Thanks for the time and good luck with it. Thank you. You have a fantastic day. You too. That is Chef Jonathan Philippe Sudeco live at Tim Hortons Field. Wow, what uh, what a menu that they have for Grey Cup Sunday. That's going to be exciting. Speaking of the Grey Cup, the Fan Festival begin or continues today, began yesterday on James North. Fan Central is the place to be with free-to-attend concerts, uh, food trucks, Hamilton Christmas Market is there, art installations, and fans from coast to coast to coast, including Rob, who I ran into yesterday, Who's an Argos fan? Hold on, Argos gear, I gotta stop you. Rick Samprin, CHML Radio. Listen, Hamilton, Toronto, they have an interesting history. What are you thinking this week? Why aren't the Argos in the Grey Cup? I I really don't have an answer for that, my friend. I mean, uh, we just just had a bad day last week. Who who are you cheering for this week? Uh, I'm really kind of split right down the middle. Uh, I mean, I'm a a fan of Zach Caleros. I'm a fan of uh, Michael Shea. I'm also a fan of uh, Anthony Kilvey of Montreal. So, uh, as the old saying goes, may the best team win. And let's have a great uh, weekend. Let's enjoy this great Cup Festival. Uh, so many fantastic things to do here. And um, drink a lot of beer. Wearing double blue, do you feel a little out of place in Hamilton? No, not at all. <laughs> the, the, the fans in Hamilton uh, are all wonderful. Um, they're, they're amazing fans. I've uh, been to the games here. And, uh, and and it's it's fantastic to see uh, their stadium uh, as as full as it is uh, every game. Um, they're they're hardworking, diehard fans, and, and God love them. Uh, and, and no, I, I don't I don't have an issue, and it's all it's all in good fun. And hey, uh, I came here prepared to hear a lot of Argos suck. I've only heard it a couple of times, but hey, it's it's all it's all in fun, and and I'm enjoying the weekend, and I hope they all do too. And Rob was a good sport for uh, hanging around for a couple of questions. You can check out the fan guide and the complete Grey Cup Festival schedule online at greycupfestival.ca. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, the other day we spoke with a representative from the Food Bank of Waterloo Region, and uh, they told us that they have seen many more students use food banks in that community. We're also seeing some statistics in Toronto. Toronto's Daily Bread Food Bank also seeing a steep uptick in usage with uh, now one in 10 residents in Toronto now regularly leaning on food banks. So we thought, well, what is going on here in Hamilton? Ashley Mitchell is the Resource Development Manager with Hamilton Food Share and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Ashley, good morning. How are you? Hi, good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm okay. What kind of statistics are we seeing here in the city? 
You know, we don't have any specific statistics that are pointing to the fact that international students are accessing food banks at a growing rate. Are we seeing more international students? Absolutely, probably. But are we seeing more of everyone in our community? That is really the more staggering um, stat that we're looking at. From last year to this year, the the need has grown by 40%. And of all the people that we saw in the last year, 34% of them were completely new to the food banking system. So these are people that haven't needed to access a food bank before and are now relying on our services. I would imagine that all, that big group of new people includes a lot of families with some children. Yes, absolutely. Families, individuals, couples, and not only just people that... Um, that are experiencing hunger, but also people that, you know, have full-time jobs, have part-time jobs. Like these are people that haven't necessarily needed the food bank system before and maybe aren't the type of person that you typically think of that are leaning on the food bank, but everyone's pockets are really, really being stretched right now. Is there a qualification to access the food bank? Do you have to be under a certain income level? How does that work? No, uh, unfortunately, we uh, we don't follow any sort of guide. We follow the guidelines set down to us by uh, Food Banks um, Canada and Feed Ontario. Um, there's really no dignity with lining up at a food bank if you don't need it. Um, if you're ever in an area where you're surrounded by food bank users, you know that they're there because they need to use it. Nobody wants to have to use a food bank, and people try really hard not to have to use it. But unfortunately, you know, parents, they they stretch their every dollar to make their ends meet. We're seeing that more than 58% uh, of people are spending more than 50% on their rent, just their rent alone. So when you're already spending so much of your dollars just to pay your basic needs like rent, utilities, the groceries come last. And fortunately, we are able to be there to support them with that need. And the issue is, I mean, we're not seeing rental rates going the other way. We're not seeing the housing crisis being solved anytime soon. This is a long-term challenge. Yes, absolutely. It's between, you know, the cost of groceries going up, inflation, cost of rent, not in any way declining. Everyone's dollars, I think probably even you, Rick, if you look at your grocery bill, you know, sometimes I pop into the grocery store just to grab, you know, three or four items for dinner that night and, and my bill's over $50 and that's just to make one meal. So everybody's dollars are being stretched and um, unfortunately we're seeing, like I said, even more people accessing our services. Um, but, you know, we're grateful to our community and our community partners. That's the great thing about, you know, when you're giving to Hamilton Food Share, you know, we can take $1, turn that into $5 worth of nutritious food. So we're so grateful to have um, such a generous city, such generous donors and um, amazing, you know, partners in our community. Speaking with Ashley Mitchell from Hamilton Food Share, they have recorded a, a big increase in uh, users over the last little while, including many new users, as you were hearing. And you mentioned those community partners. Um, we know the Children's Fund has, um, you know, helped out Hamilton Food Share from time to time over the years. We know that there are great corporate partners in this community. I, I, I just think without them, I'm not sure, you know, how we would make this work. Oh, absolutely. Like we could not do what we do without our corporate partnerships, our individual donors, you know, every single individual in our community that runs a food drive on our behalf, all the students and staff at schools in our community that are running food drives, our big partnerships. We 
we truly, this is, you know, our mission is working together toward a hunger-free community. And that is absolutely true through and through. We could not do this if we were not working together. With more people using Hamilton Food Share, with inflation where it is, with the cost of food where it is, and the Christmas season approaching, could this time of the year, this year, be the big, maybe the, the most challenging year ever? Yeah, I think we're probably going to serve over 12,000 households that need support this Christmas. But the thing is, is we want everyone to have the opportunity to celebrate Christmas, their holidays, and we don't want food insecurity to be a barrier toward that. So if we're able to provide additional support to families that are in need, we want to ensure that everyone in our community is really having the opportunity to celebrate the holidays with their families if they choose so. If you want more information or if you want to donate to Hamilton Food Share, go online hamiltonfoodshare.org. Ashley, thank you very much for the time this morning. No, thank you, Rick. Thank you for having me. Ashley Mitchell is a resource development manager at Hamilton Food Share. Again, that website to donate or for more info, hamiltonfoodshare.org. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Exciting news once again. It seems like uh, there's always some exciting news coming out of Mohawk College. Well, this time around, it has announced an ambitious plan. It is a climate action plan, and here to talk about it is the president of Mohawk College, Mr. Ron McCurley. Ron, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm not too bad at all. So what is this climate action plan all about? Well, it's a very exciting plan, very ambitious plan, and uh, it covers uh, a number of areas, really three broad streams. One is there's a commitment uh, for the college to reach uh, net zero emissions and direct campus operations by 2035. Uh, which requires a huge investment across all of our campuses to uh, to get there. Uh, secondly, uh, not surprisingly, is around academics. We are going to embed sustainability uh, right through our curriculum of all our programs. And at the same time, we're launching a, a new school of climate action, which will have uh, the ability to train uh, up to 12,000 uh, people just in, in low-carbon jobs, which there is a huge demand for right now. And then the third area is around research, and it's really working with our uh, industry partners. And the goal is to deploy more than uh, 50 solutions to the climate crisis by 2030. So three different pillars, uh, lots of initiatives underway, um, including an announcement last night of our uh, first um, uh, chair in skilled trades for the green economy. So uh, uh, we are moving on all fronts. The net zero emissions in direct campus operations by the year 2035. I just want to ask you about that because you said that was a huge investment. What what kind of cost are we thinking about here? Uh, it will be millions of dollars uh, across uh, all of our campuses. Uh, it, it includes things like replacing uh, gas-fired electric boilers with uh, gas-fired boilers with electric boilers, uh, relamping the entire uh, campuses to move away from fluorescent lamps to LED lighting. Uh, it will require generating more uh, electricity, which we do right now through solar, but we also buy electricity off the grid, uh, battery storage for electricity, a whole host of uh, investments, greening our fleet, uh, greening all of our, the products that we bring on campus and the, working with the suppliers that supply those. Uh, we've moved away from plastics and things like cutlery to um, to d- disposable uh, cardboard-based uh, products for forks and things like that. But uh, it's a host of things, uh, and it will be uh, pr- probably 
in the multi-millions of dollars uh, over the next uh, seven or eight years. Ron McCurley is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Mr. McCurley is the president of Mohawk College, and they have announced an ambitious climate action plan, which you just heard will include uh, millions of dollars in investments to, by the year 2035, uh, contribute to no uh, emissions into the atmosphere, which is exciting news. You also mentioned the new School of Climate Action when is this going to start, and, and what kind of low-carbon jobs will it create? Yeah, so the uh, uh, the school was announced uh, uh, last night. We will um, uh, we're creating programs and curriculum now. We have uh, about 140 micro credentials, uh, but we've just uh, got approval from our board to uh, launch uh, uh, a bachelor of technology and sustainability, bachelor of management and sustainability. The jobs, Rick, are uh, coming from all industries. The demand for jobs are coming from all industries. So from uh, from energy through transportation, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, transportation jobs around uh, electric vehicles and, and uh, a lot coming from construction, uh, things for the skilled trades, for example, around heat pump technology and, uh, you know, issues like that. Uh, and a lot of coming from management, from manufacturing and others, where they're looking for people to lead their sustainability efforts, uh, which is why we're offering degree. We'll be offering degree programs as well as, uh, as well as diplomas, as well as uh, postgraduate certificates and micro credentials. The demand for uh, jobs it will be significant in Canada. It's already starting to be significant as people look at their own efforts to move to. Uh, lower carbon outputs for their uh, factories, for their construction, for their uh, transportation. And so uh, we just want to be there to support these employers to help them prepare people for these jobs. We know that the climate crisis is, in fact, a crisis, but we, we don't see many institutions, schools, in fact, saying that this is an important issue to us, so we're going to make all these changes. Why was it important for you and Mohawk College to go down this route? Well, we really, we've got quite a history in it. In 2011, we actually uh, launched the, the very first environmental sustainability plan for uh, college in Canada. Uh, in 2017, we opened the Joy Center for Partnership and Innovation, which was Canada's first uh, net zero carbon building uh, uh, certified by the uh, Canada Green Building Council. Um, and then we, uh, a year later, uh, a couple of years later, we launched Canadian Colleges for Resilient Recovery, which is a coalition of 14 pan-Canadian colleges and SAGEPs and institutes that are training right now uh, with uh, federal government support about 10,000 people for low-carbon jobs. And, and so we've already been a leader in this space. It was sort of a natural extension uh, to uh, working with industry. We, we've uh, worked with about 30 partners on uh, low-carbon solutions. And so, so expanding this made sense. It, uh, somebody's got to lead, and we're happy to do that. And there's a lot of good uh, made-in-Hamilton solutions here that we can then uh, support uh, others across Canada with. Mohawk College, definitely leaders in the fight against uh, our climate crisis in this country and around the world. And Ron, you should be congratulated for carrying that torch and uh, leaving a, a lasting legacy at Mohawk as you depart uh, next year. Thanks for the time today and good luck with us. Thank you, Rick. Ron McCurley, president of Mohawk College. And uh, as you can imagine, this, this should have a massive benefit for students, 
uh, into the future with those low-carbon jobs. Many of them are going to be coming down the line. That is for sure. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The COVID subvariant HV.1 is in Canada, and it is growing. According to the Public Health Agency of Canada, since August, this subvariant has grown from about 2% of reported cases to more than 34% as of Uh, pretty much the end of October. And that has overtaken other variants that were more dominant back in the spring and back in the summer. So what do we know about this HV1? Dr. Isaac Bogosh is an infectious diseases specialist and a general intern medicine uh, professor at the uh, University of Toronto, joining us now on GMH. Dr. Bogosh, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. Great to chat. What do we know about HV1? And like you like you mentioned, it's it's certainly here in Canada. It's it's growing in uh, in size, and of course, it's found all over the world as well. We know that uh, COVID spreads r- relatively quickly, uh, at least on a global scale, and it's it's replacing the other sublineages of Omicron that are out there. So it's around, and I think if people take a step back and look at the big picture, I think most people right now either know someone who's had COVID or has had COVID recently, because uh, we did start to see a rise in cases at the tail end of the summer, and they certainly started to grow in the community throughout the fall. Uh, and depending on where you are in Canada right now, COVID is either uh, growing, uh, staying the same, and believe it or not, it's even in decline in some places. So again, there's a fair bit of COVID out there. And, and we, you know, at this point in time, we, we know the steps we can take to protect ourselves from this. Are, are COVID sufferers suffering from the same symptoms? Yeah, I mean, based on what we know, there's nothing unique about HV1 compared to other sublineages of COVID. You know, maybe we'll find something uh, unique about it, but certainly uh, when we see so much of this around, and again, it's it's everywhere uh, globally, uh, you know, if there was something unique uh, about it, you'd, you'd think that we'd, we'd know by now. But, uh, you know, I think we still have to be pretty cautious in this in the sense that we know who gets really, really sick from COVID. Age, uh, people on the older end of the spectrum and people with underlying medical conditions are certainly at greater risk for more severe COVID. They're completely overrepresented in hospital settings and, and sadly in, in, in deaths as well. And uh, listen, we have uh, COVID-19 vaccines that are out and about now and, and they're widely available free. And uh, it's especially important for people with significant risk for severe uh, for severe illness to go get that booster vaccine. Dr. Bogosh, is this subvariant more contagious than past variants? And are we expecting many more cases perhaps in the next few months? Yeah, it's hard to say if it's more contagious. It's probably, to be more specific, it probably just evades the immune system and immunity that we have against infection uh, better than, than other ones uh, that are circulating. But I think the other important point to remember is, listen, it's not it's not 2020 all over again or 2021. The, the term is immunonaivety. We don't have an immune naive population. Virtually every person, not just in Canada, but in the globe, but virtually every person has either had COVID or has been vaccinated or has had uh, both of them. And, and that's why we're not seeing the devastation that we saw earlier in the pandemic with you know massive deaths in the in the long term care facilities and hospitals overflowing and ICU uh, full to the brim with with COVID-19. Listen, COVID's still here. It's still an issue. It's still going to prey on the more vulnerable. We still should take steps to mitigate spread and and to prevent uh, severe infection. But uh, we're not going to see the scenes like we saw in 2020 or 2021 this winter. I think this winter is going to look 
fairly similar to what we saw last winter. I think we should be thankful of that. Dr. Isaac Bogosh is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Dr. Bogosh is an infectious diseases specialist, associate professor in the Department of Medicine at the U of T. Is, is COVID mutating faster or slower than before? Is it just the same? Yeah, it looks, it looks pretty much the same in the sense that every few months we, you know, we, we see another sublineage of Omicron replace the existing one. And again, it's a bunch of, obviously to people in the business, it's, it's very meaningful. Some people might just hear this as numbers and, and letters, but you know, you had BA1, then BA2, then BA4, then BA5, then, you know, XBB, then EG2, then, you know, then BA2.86, now HB1. Okay, so you, you sort of get a theme here that, you know, rinse, wash, repeat, uh, where a lot of it, but the 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 genetics are, are are changing the virus is mutating but you know subsequent waves are not getting larger and larger they're you know you know they still obviously can pack a punch especially for those who are more vulnerable but uh again it's not it's not overwhelming uh the world or the country or the province or the healthcare system and listen by all means our healthcare system needs a lot of cpr and assistance and support but you know not we're not in the days where covid-19 a single pathogen is completely destroying uh and and imploding our healthcare system sound like a bingo card as you're going through all those subvariants uh what <laughs> what what about uh, flu season how are we doing so far we're we're just kind of into it here yeah i mean this is for people listening if you haven't got your flu shot yet it's never too late this is a great opportunity to get it flu season if flu is starting to pick up um, and you don't need a crystal ball to predict the future. We know we're going to see more and more cases as the weeks go on, and we're starting to see some right now. Uh, so, you know, and you know, some people think the flu is just a little sniffle or cough or cold. It packs a punch. Anyone who's had true influenza knows this. It can, it can really lay you on your butt for several days and, and make you feel crummy. And, of course, nothing's perfect, but the flu shot is a really good uh, way to protect yourself against getting the flu. And if you do get the flu, it can mitigate the severity of illness. Well said. Dr. Bogosh, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for your time this morning. Have a wonderful day. You too. Uh, Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious diseases specialist, associate professor in the Department of Medicine at the University of Toronto. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. How is your password game? How difficult do you think your password is? Well, (laughs) according to password manager NordPass, of the 200 most common passwords used around the world this year, about 70% of them can be cracked in under a second. In Canada this year, and let me remind you, it is 2023, for crying out loud, 123456 is the most common password, followed closely by admin and password, all lowercase, by the way, all of which can be cracked in less than one second. The 20th most popular password in Canada is keep trying, which NordPass says takes about 11 days to hack. Still very hackable. And this just is not just a Canada thing. I mean, this is worldwide. The, a third of the world's passwords consist purely of numerical sequences, such as 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Not very strong. One, two, three, four, five, even weaker. And five zeros in a row. That's not going to work. How does this impact cybersecurity? Let's ask our expert today. Carmi Levy is a technology analyst and a journalist and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Carmi, good morning. How are you? 
Good morning, Greg. I'm well. Great to be here. I can only laugh at these passwords. They're not strong <laughs> at all. They're they're getting the yellow. You know when you enter a password and it says super strong and it's like dark green or black and the the weak passwords are like yellow. Like uh, you know, heads up. Yeah. You got you got to add some digits here or or change it up. I find myself alternating between laughing at the silliness of it and and crying, shaking my <laughs> head because this is a recurring theme in cybersecurity. And, you know, you ask, what does this mean for cybersecurity? It turns it into cyber insecurity because mm -hmm. it basically means that in the digital space, what we're doing is essentially leaving the front door wide open and inviting cyber criminals to do their thing. It, we are we're, we're not doing the one simple thing that we could do to reduce the majority of the risk that we face to uh, cyber events like fraud, uh, like phishing attacks, like ransomware attacks from happening in the first place. And the crazy thing about this is that this is an annual tradition, NordPass and other, uh, this one comes from NordPass, which is a provider of password management solutions. Uh, but other companies in that same space do the same thing. Every year they release a you know most popular passwords list. And every year I look at these lists and they just don't change from year to year. So not only are we not getting the message We're we're being reminded of it year after year after year and yet we still choose to ignore it we still choose choose to keep our heads in the sand refusing to do even the basic things to keep ourselves digitally safe so how do we strengthen our passwords we uh well i mean we start you know we, we replace uh, easy to crack passwords like these default passwords, like one, two, three, four, five, six, isn't something that somebody came up with. It's what was assigned when you first bought that device or when you first signed on to a particular service. And then you didn't bother to change it to something more, more secure. So the first thing we do is replace the easy to guess passwords with harder to guess passwords. So like you suggested before, you throw in some numbers, you throw in some special characters, you use upper and lowercase characters because because that is significant. Uh, and you also stop using words that people would easily guess. So don't use your significant other's name. Don't use your pet's name. Don't use the name of the street where you grew up or your mother's maiden name. All of these things that anybody, if they took a casual look at your social media profiles, they'd be able to grab that information and then use it against you. So, uh, you know, up your password game to start with, then stop using the same password across multiple systems. That is a huge <laughs> problem. We tend to default toward convenience rather than security. We figure, I don't want to get locked out. I don't want to have to bother remembering more than one password. So we use the same one, which is problematic because then when our, when our passwords get breached and inevitably they do get included in breaches, they're out there. And because we don't bother changing them and we use them across multiple systems, then it makes it easy. Oh, cyber criminals then start knocking on the door of all the other systems that we would use and they get into them they get into our gmail they get into uh, our financial services our credit card account our bank accounts things like that uh, and then set up a schedule so that you do change them regularly because uh, when breaches happen if we don't change our passwords then basically we're leaving the door unlocked indefinitely if we change them every month couple months few months whatever works for you then even if there is a breach and our information is included in that breach really doesn't matter because basically we've changed the locks on the door soon after that but these are all very simple tasks but most of us just can't be bothered because well i guess we got other things to do very much so we got 30 seconds um storing passwords on internet browsers is just as bad right 
Absolutely, because when your browser is breached or your the digital account is that is attached to your browser is breached, they get the information and they use it against you. So yes, it's convenient to say, would you like to save this password here? Uh, but don't uh, store it offline. Use a notepad or use a password management app like NordPass, like OnePassword or Dashlane. Uh, all of these can make it significantly easier for you to have different passwords across different services that are constantly being changed. And then you don't have to remember it all in your head because let's face it, most of us can't. No, not even uh, <laughs> with all the passwords we have, that is not going to enter into the equation of uh, trying to remember even one of them. Carmi, we'll have to leave mm -hmm. it there. Thanks for your time this morning. Appreciate it, Rick. Thank you. Carmi Levy, technology analyst and journalist. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. You're not already in the Christmas spirit. It'll be here before you know it. That is for sure. Just over a month away, but starting tomorrow... The Winter Festival of Lights is back, 51 nights of twinkling lights, and a whole lot more. And here to talk about it is Janice Thompson, President and CEO of Niagara Falls Tourism. Janice, welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton. How are you? Good morning. I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me today. This all starts tomorrow. Is everything ready? We are. All the lights are in place. All the new displays are up. We're just ready to flip that switch and share the excitement with everyone. How long does this take to put together? Because there's a lot of lights. There are. There are over 3 million lights throughout the city, all part of Winter Festival of Lights. And frankly, you know, as you, as you hear with most annual festivals, the minute they're over, the plans for next year are starting to be put in place. But the actual assembly, the uh, setup of the lights starts around um, September. Wow. So this isn't a case like many lazy Canadians where you just leave the lights all year long. <laughs> no, that doesn't work. <laughs> uh, the Hot Chocolate Trail is also back, and I remember <laughs> taking in the Winter Festival of Lights, I think it was a couple of years ago, and this was my wife and I's favorite, this Hot Chocolate Trail. Tell us about it. Well, 22 of our participating restaurants and bars throughout the city are offering very unique hot chocolate concoctions. The various um, chefs and bartenders have gotten together and made uh, very unique drinks. Some are alcoholic and some are not. Uh, some are for families, but they're just joyous. They're all decorated and they're quite enticing. And you can follow the hot chocolate trail throughout the city. And the entire trail is spelled out on our WFOL.com website. It is a, a lot of fun. And from what I recall, my wife and I enjoyed the alcoholic ones a little bit more for some reason, but to each their own. It was a, a tremendous experience. There's also a Santa meet and greet. Santa Claus is going to be in town. Yes, the Ontario Power Generation is a very wonderful sponsor of the event. Uh, Santa comes, we have complimentary photos for families and uh, we're very proud to have that back again this year. Again, all the dates when Santa's in town are spelled out on the website. We also have the Misty Kids. Uh, they're there in their wonderful costumes and just exuding energy and happiness about the whole holiday season. And those Misty Kids are putting on a coloring contest, from what I understand. That's correct. They are. They are indeed. Can adults participate in this as well? Well, you know, you just made me think of that. It's the fact that you knew about it made me a little suspicious of that. <laughs> oh, we should watch for your entry in that contest. But uh, sure, anyone can participate. We all love to color. Uh, absolutely. Well, when the last time we attended the Winter Festival of Lights, there was um, uh, an installation or, or one place where we got to make these crafts. And it was it was just so fun. 
Yeah, it is. It brings out the child in all of us, yeah. doesn't it, this particular event. Now, this is 41 years. How has the Winter Festival Lights changed over those 41 years? Well, I'd say in size, of course, it's spread out through the city. The Niagara Parks Commission is a wonderful host through all of their property along the parkway and through Dufferin Islands. It's expanded up into the Fallsview business area. Uh, into uh, Queen Victoria Park has amazing, amazing displays there as well. Lundy's Lane, it's all through the city. You'll find it's expanded. Uh, the number of lights has grown, uh, the size of the displays, the uh, the technology, the fact that you can interact with, with some of the displays. That's been the biggest change. Absolutely. Janice Thompson is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Janice is the president and CEO of Niagara Falls Tourism as the Winter Festival of Lights returns tomorrow. 51 nights of twinkling lights. You can get all the information online at WFOL.com. Do you have any tips for people planning to attend the festival, maybe to, to view everything in a certain way, in, in the best way? I'd say the best way is to plan an overnight visit. Take your time, get out of your cars, walk around, experience it, uh, soak up the atmosphere, uh, the, the people smiling and laughing and singing and taking selfies. It's one of those moments that you just can't replicate very often so we encourage you to get out there with your families plan an overnight stay uh, enjoy the hot chocolate and uh, just soak up the energy having one of the uh, wonders of the world in an illuminated niagara falls doesn't hurt either does it no it doesn't and on 26 of those nights we have fireworks there in the evening as well and every evening we have the illumination of the falls. There's been a special show created to dedicate the uh, success of the uh, Winter Festival of Lights over the years and to celebrate the four decades of light. And that runs at the top of every hour in the evening. It's a wonderful show right on the falls. It's going to be a lot of fun. My wife and I already making plans to take in the Winter Festival of Lights one again, once again. And I encourage our listeners to do the same. Janice, thank you for the time. Good luck. Thank you so much. Looking forward to it. Janice Thompson is the president and CEO of Niagara Falls Tourism. Head online, make your plans, book your overnight stay, WFOL.com. It is truly an extraordinary festival. There's no doubt about that. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.